Welcome to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. At Victory, we value love in action through growing, connecting, serving, and giving. We work to show God's love and share His truth as we love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. Here's this week's sermon by Pastor Terry Green. So you could turn there. It's a series in the book of Ephesians. Uh, You may have read or heard that Some of the earliest manuscripts of this letter do not include when Paul says who are in Ephesus. And some of those manuscripts just read Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, the saints and faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, I know you kids cannot imagine a world when cell phones and smartphones and computers didn't exist. But some of us older folks are pretty good at imagining what that would have been like. Um, And... (laughs) Kathy and I learned computer programming on card punch. That's, yes, it dates us. Uh, But uh, this letter, what happened when they wrote things, Paul wrote the one letter and then he sent that on and he always sent it with a person. They didn't have mailboxes you could drop it in. When you wanted a letter to go to one, from one place to another, you had to either send somebody with your letter or you had to contract with someone who went from one city to another. And so you could get the letter to that city and then it would get carried to the next city. But most of the time, they had to, it had to be hand-delivered, sometimes over a thousand miles away hand-delivered, and so mail was slow and laborious. And, and so what happened sometimes is uh, when Paul like, was writing this letter uh, to the church in Ephesus, uh, some suggest the letter was originally intended as the letter to the Laodiceans, because he mentions that in Colossians. He says, take the letter to the Col- to, that I sent to the Laodiceans and swap letters. I, I don't think that's very likely because... If you read Colossians and Ephesians, there's a lot of significant overlap. So I'm not sure that Paul would have said, hey, you need to make sure you read what they got and they need to make sure they read what you got. I think the letter to the Laodiceans, we just don't have in the Bible. Like we don't have all the letters that Paul wrote to the Corinthians because in what we have in our Bible is 1 Corinthians, Paul said, the letter I sent to you previously Well, the Holy Spirit didn't preserve that for us, so we don't have that. And then some suggest the letter was intended as a circulatory letter, like uh, Paul sent it over to this church and planned to have this letter go to a bunch of different churches, and so he had copyists copying it, and they just left it blank, you know, to... So Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints and faithful in Christ Jesus. Or then they'd have a blank, uh, who are in Ephesus or who are in Laodicea or whoever, who are in wherever, that it was designed to be circulated that way. Uh, But in chapter 6 and verse 21, Paul says, I am sending Tychicus to you. So there was a specific intended audience because he was sending a specific intended person to them. So uh, Paul's emphasis on love for Christ and on others, love for others, lines up with the letter to the Ephesian elders recorded in Acts 20. And it also lines up with Jesus Christ's letter to the church in Ephesus in Revelation 2. Jesus said, you've lost your first love. So Paul saw the beginning of that departure and was warning against it. 
Now, I think it's likely that the manuscripts were copied to be sent to other cities and they left out Ephesus. So we don't know what was the original manuscript because it didn't last. It got used. It got put to work. And so um, copies of Scripture wear out even today. Those of you who've been around here for a while know that this is my fourth preaching Bible that I've been using here in the last 25 years. Uh, we, we have to change and upgrade, and, and uh, I have to get it a little smaller so my arthritic hands can hold it up. <laughs> I had a big heavy one uh, before this one. But uh, wouldn't Paul have loved the opportunity to do what we're doing here today? Everybody have their own Bible, some of them on digital, some of them in print, and we're live streaming the service. Imagine what Paul could have done with that technology. Um, but uh, the early manuscripts, they would wear out. And so maybe the very earliest one said to the saints in Ephesus. But we don't know because we don't have the first manuscript. We have copies of it in the Greek, the original language of this book. Uh, of the most of the New Testament and of the book to the Ephesians. So the most important thing is not to whom it was addressed because Paul doesn't deal with a lot of personal stuff. You know, like if I was writing a letter to John, uh, I would say, Dear John. Did you ever get one of those? Um, <laughs> but but I would I would write that letter in, in our day, we start with the recipient and we end with who's sending it. In their day, they started with who's sending it and then put the recipient right there. In the same way we do in memos and in emails, your email comes in and it says who it came from and you know it's to you because it came into your inbox. And so, uh, so you've got both of it right there at the very top. And so that's how they did their letters that way. And in the original Greek, this book includes some massively long sentences, really, really long sentences, as if Paul was so filled with interconnected ideas that he didn't want to pause between any of them. So let's just take a look at the beginning of this book. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, in verse number one. Now, that's who's sending it, Paul. And who's he sending it to? To the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ. Can you click that up? The saints who are in Ephesus and the faithful in Christ. So what are saints? Now, who's he writing to? In our culture, there are certain churches who talk about saints. And to be qualified as a saint, you have to have done specific things, including having miracles performed in your name. Uh, but in the Bible, the word saint is used completely differently. In the Bible, the word saint is any person who's following Jesus Christ. They are made a saint by Jesus. So, any of you in here who are following Jesus Christ, you're a saint. So we really do have St. Mark with us today. And we have St. Timothy with us today. Uh, and we have uh, St. Jesse over here. And we even have St. Daniel with us here today. 
We have saints. We're all saints. We have trusted Christ. So even you kids, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, we got St. Tucker sitting over there by his mom. And you guys are saints. God has made you that and brought you into his family. Now, saints is by God's definition. We don't look at Richard and say, oh man, that guy is so much like Jesus, he's got to be a saint. We look at Richard, we say, he's a saint because he's following Jesus. But there's a second descriptor in here, saints and faithful. Now, saints is a designation that God gives. He calls all of us saints if you've trusted Christ as your Savior. But faithful, that's something that you have to earn. Saint is a gifthood. Sainthood is a gift. (laughs) Sainthood is a gift. And so you receive that gift and you're made a saint by God. But faithfulness, that's something you do. And so Paul uses both descriptions to talk about these people. They're supposed to be stepping up. Because they are saints, they're now supposed to be faithful. God has made them saints. They need to make themselves saints faithful. Then he says in verse 2, grace to you and peace from God and our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, now pause just a moment. Verse 1, Jesus Christ, and then Christ Jesus. Verse 2, Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3, Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see a theme here? It's all about being in Him. That's why the title of our series is In Him, Following Christ. It's all about being in Christ and following Christ. So he says in verse 2, grace first and then peace. So you got, yeah, grace first and then peace. Grace is the gift you receive from God. For by grace are you saved through faith, verse chapter 2 says. It's, it's by his grace. You could not be saved on your own. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single person needed God's grace in order to be saved. Now, you look at some people, and you're like, oh, man, they needed a ton of grace for them to get saved. Uh, but the truth is, I was not a good kid. My wife was a great kid. And so we both needed the same measure of grace because we both had completely fallen short of the glory of God. My falling short was way more visible than hers to everybody else. But from God's perspective, we were both in the same layer of mud. She wasn't any higher than I was. We both needed God's grace. And then after you get his grace, then you have peace with God. Because you have a gift from God. And so once you receive his grace, now you're at peace with God. Now you're no longer an enemy of God, as the scripture says. Before you're saved, you were his enemy. Now you're with him and you're connected with him and you're, um, you're at peace with him. So now look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So he said two things here. One, we are incredibly blessed by God 
And two, we can be a blessing to God. Have you thought about that? I mean, Troy, you can be a blessing to God by following his word, by loving him. You can be a blessing to God. I've seen you be a blessing to your mom. You can be a blessing to your heavenly father. Uh, We can be a blessing to God. And God has blessed us. And look how he describes it. Blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. See, in chapter 2, he talks about uh, we're raised up together and made to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You already belong in heaven. You belong there because Jesus Christ has made that possible. So someday we're all going to be in heaven. Now, a while ago when we had the service for Larry, I I heard this lady singing Amazing Grace. And you know what we're going to do in heaven someday? We're going to sing Amazing Grace to the one who is the embodiment of God's grace, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to rejoice in what he has done. And we already belong there. There's stories, you know, people like to tell funny jokes about this guy dies and he stands before the pearly gates and Peter has to decide whether he's going to let him in. That's a misunderstanding of a passage of scripture. We're already in. We're already with him. We're already connected. And so when, when we get there, it's like coming home. We have our place reserved. It's guaranteed. Now, when, my, when I was little and we moved a lot because dad was in the service and we'd jump from one city to another city and go, and uh, that's what they did. They moved people a lot more in the military back then than they do now. Uh, but uh, I can remember most of the time dad would go ahead and he would buy the house and then we'd go move into it. And I can remember driving, especially when we moved from Albuquerque to Tucson, we drove through the night and we got there early in the morning and we showed up at the house just before the moving truck got there and dad turned us loose to run through the house and um, we did. We ran all through the house and it was already our house. He'd already picked out the rooms that we were going to have and God has a place reserved in heaven for you. You already belong there if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You are blessed with every spiritual blessing. Now, he then switches a little bit of direction into a huge theological concept that I'm going to try and boil down to just a few minutes with you here today. Even though for 2,000 years, learned theologians have battled back and forth about what this means, We'll, we'll try and give you a passable understanding in just a few minutes. Um, we're, we're looking at and thinking about uh, election and predestination as Paul writes about it here. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4. Just as he chose us in him, that's the election, chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Okay, now I want you to think about this just for a moment, and, and I'm going to share some ideas that I have my understanding of studying the Scripture. Are there theologians or pastors out there who might disagree with me? 
Yes, they would disagree with me for now, but when they get to heaven, they'll realize I was right. Uh, okay, the truth is, this is, I've studied it a lot. I've read every verse in the Bible applying to this. And, and these are some of the ideas that, that I have gleaned from that process. First is, salvation is not forced on anyone. It's not forced on anyone. Now, John Calvin taught irresistible grace, that when God wants you to be saved, bam, you're saved. You got no say in it at all. He said, you're mine, and bam, you're his. And, and yet that's not how Jesus himself presented it or how Paul did or how Peter did. Uh, look at these words from Jesus, Matthew 23, 37. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a, as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. I just wanted to cover you up. I wanted to save you. That's what the mother hen does when the chicks are threatened. She gathers them up and saves them. Uh, true story of a farmer who had a fire that ripped through his, his farm, and he went, and there was a burned hen on the ground one day And he, he, after the fire, and he just kind of kicked that hen with his foot, and these chicks all went running away. Mother Hen had gathered them up and saved them at the cost of her own life. She could have flown to safety, but she saved them. That's how Jesus said he wants to do, but they would not. Jesus didn't say, I wish I could save you, but my father won't let me because you're not elect. He didn't say that. He said, I want to, but you would not. And uh, then Acts 16.31, the apostle Paul uh, the jailer came to Paul and called for a light and ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And, and he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, well, we don't know whether you can be or not because we don't know whether you're elect or not. So you maybe could, but you maybe can't. No, what he said was, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And in Peter's famous sermon in Acts 2, he said much the same thing. He called them to repent and be saved and, and not to sit back and wait and see whether or not they were elect. So I believe that salvation is not forced on anyone. Secondly, God's offer of salvation requires a response. It requires a response. Romans 10, 9 and 10, read it with me as we get it up here on the screen. If you can see it, it's a little small, but if you can see it, read it with me. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. See, you, you believe it, and then you confess it. See, if you say it, when I was a little kid, my sister snuck into my room at night and said, if you die, you're going to burn in the flames and you'll never see mom and dad again. She was eight, I was four, I was terrified. You know, I thought fire was fun to play with, but, but I didn't want to be in the fire. I wanted it to burn other things. And so uh, I was terrified. And so I said this prayer and for years I trusted in the prayer. But see, I only did half of it. 
I didn't believe with all my heart that Christ died for my sins. In fact, honestly, at that stage of my life, I didn't understand what being a sinner was. I know some of you got saved at age four or even younger, but I didn't get it. Um, And so it took me another dozen years before I could understand that. So I said the prayer, but I didn't get saved. I just got confused because I was told since I said the prayer, I'm good. But the verse doesn't say, say the magic prayer. It says, believe in your heart and then pray and trust Christ. You have to do both. And look in Ephesians chapter 2. If you got your Bible open in Ephesians 1, it's an easy page turn over to chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. All right, what do you have to do when somebody has a gift for you? What do you need to do? You need to accept the gift. If somebody comes up to give you a gift, you're like, nope, nope, I refuse, I don't want it. Well, okay, you're not going to get the gift. Some of your kids are like, nobody would be that dumb, would they? (laughs) Yes, people are dumb sometimes. They don't receive the gift. So we have to receive the gift. We have to believe on him and trust in him. All right, a third concept that I understand from all those years of study is that people in hell will have no excuse. See, there are people who believe that God has so predestined that before a person's even born, it's already predetermined whether they're going to be in heaven or in hell. It's already done. Now, honestly, if I believed that, then I would have been scared to death to have kids. Because what if they're already predetermined to be in hell? I would have been terrified to have children. Now, there's some people who believe you can get saved any old time you want, anything, you just respond. Well, Jesus taught differently. In John 6, he said, you can only be saved when the Father's drawing you. But Jesus himself was, was witnessing to uh, what, what's called the rich young ruler in the Bible, a young guy who had lots of money. And, and so this guy came to Jesus and he said, what, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus didn't tell him, hey, you, you maybe can, you maybe can't. It's all 100% up to God. No, he told this guy what he needed to do. He needed to get rid of his love for riches and trust only in God. And he wouldn't do it. And he went away sorrowful. And the Bible says Jesus loved him. Now, if that guy had been predetermined to end up in hell, Jesus would have told him so. He was God in the flesh. So look at Romans 1, 20, well, 18 through 21. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because that which may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them. 
For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. God has put into every person the light of conscience and the light of creation. And we can look at both of those things, and that should be enough to cause us to turn to God and want more. And Hebrews 11:6 says, God rewards those who diligently seek him. But if somebody rejects that light, then they have no opportunity for salvation. God, you can only be saved when the Father's drawing you. And if you reject what the Father has given, he doesn't give more. So people are not in hell because God gave them no choice. They're in hell because they rejected God's revelation and refused his one and only plan of salvation. So election and predestination are real. We just have to define them the way God defines them, not the way some human people have defined it, the way God does. So listen, God could have predetermined who would get into heaven and who would go to hell. He could have done that. But I don't think that's what he did based on how he revealed his truth in the scripture. Not because I feel uncomfortable with it, although I would feel very uncomfortable if, if I knew I was predetermined to hell, but because that doesn't sound like how God revealed his truth in scripture. God can do anything that he wants to do. He's God. He makes the rules. But I don't see him making that rule. I see people making that rule based on a couple of things that God said in his word. So here's a question that I have for you, okay? What are you predestined to? What are you predestined to? All right, now let's look again at verse 4. Just as he chose us in him... Before the foundation of the world, this means before God spoke and began the creation process, he had already predetermined this in his mind. And here's what he did. He predetermined and chose us that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Okay, that's talking about the faithful side of we are saints that's what God does in us that only God can do. And then we faithfully respond. See, God had planned before the foundation of the world that those who trust and follow him would then be holy and without blame before him in love. That's what he designated them to. That's what he called them to. He didn't say, oh, you're going to be in my family and we're going to rejoice in heaven forever. Yes, he does teach that in the Bible, but he doesn't parallel that with election or predestination. In election and predestination, he always parallels them with behavior that we're supposed to model here on earth and not just with the end of life on earth when we go up or down but the behavior that we're supposed to model here. Look again in verse 5. He says it again, or in a different way. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. So God pre-planned that those who believe would become part of his family. Now, 
How many of you were adopted? Any of you? Okay. I have a younger brother who was adopted. And I know several of you have siblings who were adopted or kids that you adopted. And, and, and when you adopt somebody into your family on earth, it's a little different than God adopting you in his, his family. Uh, but my younger brother is adopted. And he has always pointed out to us older kids. He's the youngest of six. And he pointed out to us, hey, I'm the only one they chose. You know, mom went to the hospital. The doctor said, look, you brought this thing in here. You take that thing home. He said, they got stuck with you guys. They chose me. And God chose you. God chose that when God gave this light of creation and this light of conscience, that when God put those in there and you responded a little bit to that, that he would give you more and more because he's the rewarder of those who seek him. And so God planned that when that person responds, then I'm going to make them part of my own family. See, he didn't just save you from hell. He made you family. You're God's kids. And and just Richie talking to me this morning, Richie and Sue about their son or grandson, Jacob, and and the heartache they feel for what he's going through right now. And, And Richie had tears in his eyes talking about it. You know, God has tears in his eyes when he talks about what his kids do on earth. When his kids are hurting, he is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He doesn't sit back and say, well, that served him right, that John boy. That served him right. He needs to suffer that. No, God is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. And so when, when we think about predestination and election, I want you to see that in the scripture, most of the time it's talking about your behavior on earth, your character, what God wants to see in your life. He's not uh, only in a couple of spots. Is he talking about whether you're going to end up there or there? Most of the time he's talking about while you're here, this is what God wants to see in your life. And what he wants to see is that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, that we are predestined to adoption. Here's a couple other things, Romans 8, 29. We are predestined to conform to Christ, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. You know, they say that after people have lived together a long time, they start looking like each other. I don't know how that works or whether that even works. I sure hope Kathy doesn't end up looking like me. That'd be a scary thought. Uh, But the truth is, the longer you're a Christian, the more you should look like Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2.9, you would live for him and praise him. You are a chosen generation or elect. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Now, in the King James, it says his own peculiar people, and some of us fit that too. But, but by peculiar, he means special, designated uh, people that he, that he chose, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
So in the same way these kids got up here and talked this morning about a blessing from being at camp and something they appreciated, of course, the food, but they also appreciated some of the messages and several of them mentioned a message or a thought or a concept that encouraged them up there. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Not just here in church where it's safe and comfortable, but out in the world. So that, you know, the neighbor, if you're as tall as I am, you can have a conversation with the neighbor over the back wall. And, and so I've had that conversation with the neighbor. And, and we're supposed to share out in the community the great things the Lord has done for us. Remember the demoniac that Christ healed and he wanted to go and be with Jesus? Jesus said, go home to your friends and tell them what great things God has done for you. That's what we need to do. Go out from this place and tell other people what great things God has done. That's what we're predestined to, to live for him and praise him. And John 15, 16, we are chosen and ordained to bring forth fruit. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. See, when God predestines us and elects us and chooses us, it's so that we would then respond to his word and do things his way in our life on earth. How are you doing with that? As God looks down from heaven this morning, would God say, you're doing a good job? What do you say? I'm going to call out an honor roll of those who are here this morning who are particularly looking a lot like my son right now. I want you to come up here. Would you be up here or would you be down here? See, this is what God wants to see in our lives. He wants us on this earth to be transformed not into some mechanical weird thing like those Transformer movies that I never saw and I didn't even like the previews to, but to be transformed from the inside out so that the thoughts and the heart of Jesus begins to flow out in your life. That's what God wants to see. So our biggest concern and our highest priority is to be in Him, in him. You need to trust and then follow Jesus Christ. If you have not done that today, you need to. You're already on your way to hell, just like those who have trusted Christ are already on their way to heaven. You already belong in heaven or you already belong in hell, depending on whether you've trusted Jesus Christ or not. Now, we have dozens of people here who would be thrilled and happy to share with you how you can trust Jesus Christ as your Savior if you have not done that. And none of them would say, well, just sit back and wait it out and you'll find out whether you're elect or not. Because that's not what Jesus said. That's not what Paul said. That's not what Peter said. That's not what John said. We need to trust him. And then once you've trusted him, it's trust and follow. It's not just believing on him so I don't have to go to hell. It's trusting and following him and becoming more like Christ in the process of your daily life. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your amazing love and grace. 
We thank you that when we were sinners, Christ died for us. When we were so undeserving, when we were so lost and broken, Christ died for us. We thank you for your salvation. We did not deserve it, but we sure needed it, and we're sure grateful. We pray that we would live up to the calling, that we would walk worthy of the calling that you have put in our lives, that we would begin to resemble Jesus a little bit more over time, because that's what you plan for our lives on earth. And if there are those here this morning who have not trusted you, Lord, bring conviction. Help them to see their desperate need for the Savior. And if there are believers of any age, young people or not so young people, if they're not following you, I pray that you would bring conviction into our hearts, into our lives. And I pray that you would stir us so that we would make decisions to follow you. And thank you that you are always willing to walk with us when we walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to know more about Victory, please visit our website at victoryarizona.org. You can also connect with us on our Facebook page or by emailing victory at victoryarizona.org. We'd love to help you accept and follow Jesus Christ.